Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Happy Friday. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. And by the way, that intro is being questioned by Ryan and we posted it on our social media. So I'm not sure what people said. Oh, um, I think people said yes. What, that it needs to be changed? Yes, I think people said yes, actually. I'm not even lying (laughs) to you. All right, what are people going to say? What do we want to do then? I don't know. I don't know. I think that's something that we got to workshop over the weekend. We can't take valuable time right now. Um, (laughs) I think one thing that we can look forward to is that I am so happy that this week felt like it went by really quickly and it's Mm -hmm. Friday. That is what I needed. Yeah, I'm telling you, I agree. It's It's been a, a rough week. Not as rough as last week, though. And yeah. uh, we're obviously prepping for next week. So Because who knows what's going to happen. Uh, Wednesday is the inauguration. We're going to be bringing you uh, coverage, of course, right here on Let's Go There of everything. Uh, and coming up today on the show, everything you need to know about Biden's latest stimulus plan that he just announced, plus how to deal with your procrastination and embrace Failure in 2021. Mm, that's going to be new. That's yeah. new. We're doing <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Not to embrace successes, embrace the failure. Just br- br- I mean, because that's all we can really uh, prepare for, to be quite honest, or, is the failures. Or just brace. <laughs> just brace for, for 2021. Okay, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Speaker Nancy Pelosi said today that lawmakers found to have aided any aspect of the mob violence and insurrection that overran Capitol Hill last week could face prosecution. If, in fact, it is found that members of Congress were accomplices to this insurrection, if they aided and abetted the crime, there may have to be actions taken beyond the Congress and, and uh, in terms of prosecution. Okay, she said it. She is not messing around. Now, everyone is saying that they are extending their uh, prayers and thoughts, thoughts and prayers to the NRA, the National Rifle Association. Why? It's obviously a joke. It's obviously a joke. It's ironic. Because they filed for bankruptcy today in U.S. court as part of a larger restructuring plan aimed at moving to Texas. The gun rights advocacy group said it would restructure as a Texas nonprofit to exit from it what it described as a, quote, 
corrupt political and regulatory environment in New York, where it is currently registered. Uh, last year, New York Attorney General Letitia James announced that the state was seeking to dissolve the NRA in a lawsuit that accused the organization's leadership of diverting millions for their own personal use, resulting in a $64 million loss to the organization. And I actually feel like it's very important. Uh, the founder of Moms Demand, it's a grassroots um yeah, it's a grassroots campaign. Basically, you know, she was one of the moms who experienced her uh, her kids being uh, caught up in one of the shootings. And she actually released a statement about this. She said on Twitter, she said, let's be clear. The NRA is filing for bankruptcy in order to escape legal culp- uh, culpability for years of deception uh, and disregard of nonprofit law. This unprecedented uh, maneuver should be considered an omission of guilt. Oof. All right. Well, that happened today. Uh, now, oh, f- final story, actually, uh, before we get into the T-Report. Uh, and this is really sad news. The official global death toll from the coronavirus pandemic surpassed 2 million today. That's according to Johns Hopkins University. It comes just over a year after the first COVID-19 death was reported in Wuhan, China. Can't believe we've been going through this for a year, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while the 2 million figure is pretty scary. Experts say the real death toll is likely much higher. Uh, Only confirmed COVID-19 deaths are included in the tally, which means that people who die without a firm diagnosis may not be included. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? A little bit of some sad news. Uh, Dustin Diamond from Saved by the Bell, Screech, um, has confirmed his cancer diagnosis just days after an emergency hospitalization. It's time for your T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. And the reason why I'm doing this story is because I grew up on Saved by the Bell. I loved Mm -hmm. watching it before going to work. Screech, um, his character, was one of my favorites um, just because he was kind of the nerdy alternative guy and kind of was the butt of the joke a lot of times um and so yeah the actor and his team revealed the disheartening diagnosis via his official facebook account thursday evening uh said at this time we can confirm that dustin does have cancer dustin will disclose more information once it's available and a plan moving forward is made um he was hospitalized tuesday due to widespread uh, widespread pain and discomfort his family also also has a history of cancer, including his mother, who actually died of breast cancer. And they oh. uh, ended the statement saying, we ask everyone to respect Dustin's privacy during this difficult time. All positivity and prayers are appreciated. So sad. Oh. That is. It's always sad to hear when someone gets cancer because it still feels like that thing that it, it brings up a lot of uncertainty yeah. of whether you can survive or not. So Yeah, you know, his, uh, his ca- old cast members and, of course, Mario Lopez, who's on the reboot of Saved by the Bell, uh, basically released a statement saying, I connected with Dustin earlier this evening, and although mm-hmm. the news of his diagnosis is heartbreaking, we remain positive that he'll overcome this, praying for him and his family and for a speedy recovery. So if you want to know more and who else has reached out head over to weirdchannelq.com because i got more t report coming up next hour all right well coming up on the show how all 50 state capitals are preparing for possible insurrections of their own that's next let's go there with shira and ryan the new channel q State capitals across the U.S. are preparing for possible attacks on their legislators in the coming days, uh, similar to the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol last week. And joining us right now, Alex Ward, a reporter covering the White House with a focus on foreign policy and national security at Vox, as well as a co-host of Vox's Worldly Podcast. Welcome back. What's up, everybody? 
You know, it's been a crazy beginning to the year and you actually have been covering all this, obviously. And you walked around the U.S. Capitol, the perimeter this week? Yeah, twice. I'm trying to get a sense of what's actually going on out there. Uh, And it looks like a veritable fortress, frankly. It's uh, tons of National Guard, tons of Secret Service, tons of D.C. police, tons of Capitol Police. Uh, It's hard to imagine anyone getting through there like they did on January 6th. It is uh, and it is almost impregnable at this point. Um, that said, they're still looking to perhaps have up to 25,000 National Guard members by Inauguration Day. Right now, there's roughly 7,000. And that's and I'm already telling you that roughly 7,000 National Guard, it's already hard to get in and move around downtown D.C. So I can't imagine what it's going to look like with even more than triple the amount of force. Yeah, I think that's what's so intense, right? Because obviously, you're what you're here for is to talk about kind of how other states are preparing for. And I think my big thing is, well, if all the National Guard are going to be in D.C., how are other states going to kind of prepare for this? So what are we seeing, you know, the FBI and some of these like kind of national security um, folks kind of do to get ahead of all of the, the chaos that could possibly happen? Well, first, I should say that there's still a lot more National Guard members back in their state. So it's not like they're all in the nation's capital. Um the states will be fine. Um, at the moment, the federal officials are basically trying to warn about what's happening. And what they're basically mm-hmm. hearing is a lot of chatter, as FBI Director Christopher Ray put it, uh, about potentially armed protesters at the inauguration in D.C. And starting on January 17th, up through the inauguration, potentially armed protests at state capitals around the country. Um, the FBI put out a bulletin saying that, hey, all 50 states should be on the lookout for this. Now, I've talked to uh, uh, 26 states um and wasn't able to get to all of them it is really hard to get a bunch (laughs) of states on the phone uh and you hear a mix of the threat environment you're basically hearing all the way from no there's really nothing that's going to happen in my state you know like hawaii um, kansas kentucky others that i talked to and then you have some like minnesota and michigan who are more fearful um and seem to have more evidence of maybe something happening maybe not but minnesota for example has called up its national guard to protect Uh, the Capitol. So we're seeing a a wide array of potential responses. All right. Again, you're hearing from Alex Ward, who's a reporter at Vox right now. So that said, what is everyone doing to prepare? So like I said, it varies, but I'll, you know, without getting, Basically, what you're seeing is uh, all an augmentation of security forces at Capitol building. So if there's even more, you know, more of Capitol Police, more of local police forces on the streets. I talked to someone of the Juneau, Alaska Police Force, and they said they usually have five to seven uh, officers on patrol on the streets. They're going to have more than that. And, you know, being from D.C., to only think of five or seven on the streets is is fascinating in and of itself. Then you're seeing fences being put up in Arizona, for example. uh, They have put up a fence around its capital complex. That was in part in response to a protest in recent days, but also they're keeping it ahead of um, the 17th or inauguration day period. Uh, And even in Connecticut, you're seeing canine, you know, bomb sniffing dogs. You're seeing bike racks put in place. So really everywhere you're seeing just a fortification of state capitals and their complexes. And what I thought was really interesting, you wrote that a lot of these states, when you were talking to them, didn't want to kind of divulge on their plans, which you would think people would want to be more transparent to kind of create more of a a calm around that. Uh, Why do you think that was? Why is there this kind of lack of transparency? Yeah, and this is always, I think, a give and take and a hard one, because on one end, you want to be transparent, like we're putting all of these people in your space 
um, because X, Y, Z reasons. I myself am have been somewhat critical already of the response in, in D.C. because they're about to perhaps put 25,000 National Guard members in this city. And like, I don't know exactly why. It could be the right number. It could be too few. It could be too mm. many. I simply don't know. Um, but I do feel like the residents of D.C. have a right to know what the actual threat is if they're going to have that many members here. Exactly. Um, yeah. But that said, um, you also don't necessarily want to give away the game plan because then, you know, the bad guys would know it. Right. True. So <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. So like it, it's, it's hard to sort of weigh the transparency versus actually making sure that the operation works. Yeah, definitely. And I guess also with a lot of these folks having been on social media and that's how the FBI really would watch what they were doing. Is there a plan now that they're all off these platforms and where to figure out where they're like sharing these things or organizing? So I always found this interesting, like, you know, Parler and 8chan and all that have gotten the most attention. But let's be clear, it's it's been widely reported that a lot of this organizing, especially for January 6th, happened on like Facebook and Twitter and a bunch of other places. And, and those places haven't been shut down. Right. I mean, they're taking accounts off, but those you know organizations exist um, and people still have texting and telephones and other things. So it is possible that this could all um that there could still be something happening. That said, what my guess is, based on the show of force they already have in D.C., based on the fortifications we're seeing across state capitals and the advance notice about this, uh, I'm going to guess no one's really going to be that surprised. I'm not saying that something bad might not, ha- you know, that something bad won't happen. I'm not saying that some people may not die. We could see a bad weekend through inauguration period. But what we saw on January 6th was uh, a real minimization of what was happening all right well that was alex ward from vox you can also check out his podcast it's called worldly out right now all right coming up the new stimulus plan that biden is proposing we're explaining it all next let's go there with shira and ryan the new channel q the honest truth is this things will get worse before they get better i told you i'll always level with you You know, and the policy changes that we're going to be making are going to take time to show up in the COVID statistics. They're not just statistics, it's people's lives. People getting infected today don't show up in case counts for weeks. Those who perish from this disease die weeks after exposure. So it will take time. But I know there are things we can do and we can do them now. That was President-elect Joe Biden speaking today. He has unveiled his big COVID-19 relief and economic recovery plan, a $1.9 trillion stimulus deal. It's meant to help the U.S. address the health and economic crises induced by the pandemic. And joining us to explain all of it is Emily Stewart, business and politics reporter at Vox. Vox is owning it today on our show. We have all the great folks from there. But they Thanks don't own our show, let's be clear. No, <laughs> they own could. our show. Like, it's a saying. It's a saying. So, Emily, the proposal is called the American Rescue Plan. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about this. What does it entail? So, as you said, it's a $1.9 trillion stimulus deal, kind of along the lines of the CARES Act that we saw back in March, similar thing. And basically what the Biden team is saying that they want to do is divvy up this money into three buckets. So $400 billion for dealing with coronavirus, whether that means vaccination, testing, things like that. Um, About another $400 
billion dollars for local communities and businesses, and then one trillion dollars in direct relief to families. So it's it's big, and they think it will have you know some big impacts. They are estimating that it would cut child poverty in half. Um, it has a lot of you know it has four hundred dollars a week in extended federal unemployment benefits, which is not as much as those six hundred dollars that we had earlier on. But it's more than $300 going out now. And it has in it the stimulus checks that would be topped up to $2,000 from the $600 that people got recently. Okay. Top line question. Why wasn't student, uh, student loans included in this? Because I thought that's what Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden, everyone was talking about this student loan forgiveness type of thing. Where is it? Because, uh, honey, they're calling me and they want their money. So this is tricky. Um, what Biden has said and what he said on the campaign trail um, is that he wants Congress to cancel $10,000 worth of student debt through legislation. Now, that's not here, um, but it's important to remember that this, at least the way Biden's team is framing this now, is this is the rescue portion and then there's going to be a recovery portion, so like a part two. Now, will mm. it be there? We don't know yet, but it could be. There is a separate avenue, which I think is one you're talking about, which is that Chuck Schumer and Elizabeth Warren and members of the House are pushing Joe Biden to cancel up to $50,000 of student debt all on his own. It would be federal student debt mm. gone. Biden has never gotten behind that. He's been, I mean, he at one point back in December said, like, listen, I'm not going to do that. Will it appear somewhere? I don't know yet. It does feel a little bit like it's a thing where Congress can say, hey, you do it. And Biden can say, hey, you do it. And like, will someone do it? We don't know yet. Yeah. Again, you're hearing from Emily Stewart, business and politics reporter at Vox. It's double the last plan, as we all know. So how does he expect to get that approved when they wouldn't even approve anything that was like even, I don't know, close to that before? Right. So this is, again, like a question that we're going to see going forward. What Biden's team will tell you and what a lot of Democratic leadership will tell you is like, listen, we're going to put this on the floor, try it through regular order, which would mean 60 votes to get it passed. Um, see how it goes. Let it pass fast. Let it fail fast. And if it fails fast, then they have an option called budget reconciliation, which we heard about a lot back in like 2017 which basically there are ways around the filibuster so that you can pass certain things, not everything, but certain things that are related to like budgets and taxes with just 51 votes. So that would be all 50 senators plus, or Democratic senators rather, plus Kamala Harris. Now yeah. that is, we don't know if that's exactly what the plan is right now, but like there is a very good chance that Republicans say we're not playing ball and then Democrats pivot to that. In 2009, they passed a decent sized recovery bill, thought they were gonna have another chance and ultimately didn't. And so the Biden team knows that they need to move fast and they need to move big. I mean, the question is obviously Democratic, some of the Democratic senators are pretty moderate. They're not going to be on board with a giant package. Like what will mm -hmm. Joe Manchin go for is a big question, the senator from West Virginia. But like the Biden team seems to really wanna go big here. Yeah. Emily Stewart, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. Emily, again, is a business and politics reporter at Vox. Uh, and coming up on the show, after being kicked off and monitored by Twitter and Facebook, how the Capitol insurrectionists were using dating apps to find each other. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Do you want to know people's political affiliations on dating apps? I mean, would that help? I mean, 
it's interesting, um, but tell me more. Yeah, well, the dating app Bumble says they restored a feature that lets users see potential matches with similar political leanings. Uh, they're announcing this because they took it actually offline for two days to clamp down on insurrectionists, okay? I guess they're everywhere. That'll do literally. it. That'll do yeah. it. There was a brief outage initially uh, because there were users who saw the so-called politics feature as a way to hunt down people who participated in the January 6th attack. So people are using their dating apps to target these folks and call them out on their dating apps. So this is interesting. I think um, that you should know your political, um, like the people you're matching with. I would love to know if they're like, and I thought Bumble already did that in a way where they asked you if you're like liberal or conservative. And, you know, you have that choice because I'm on they Bumble. They do. Well, they do. They took it offline because of the attack. The January oh, 6th attack. well, I mean, to be honest, I want to know. I would love to know who, if I'm matching with the conservative or if before I swipe right or swipe left, who's on there. And then to be quite honest, you know, when you see like people who are kind of like MAGA folks, they're always like super extreme, even on those kind of dating apps. Like I saw one plat um, one guy that I most definitely did not match with and did not even swipe right for. He had the make America great again flag in his photo. So they're very open and loud and proud about their support for this person. It's gross. Yeah. And beyond that, this is crazy. I mean, they're, they're getting very creative because uh, actually Bumble noticed an, a noticeable uptick in users employing the filter in violation of its policies, including people who have used the app to spread insurrectionist content or attempted to organize and incite terrorism. So they're using a dating app to do this. Like how does that even work? Like, are they putting in their app, like putting in their bio? If you if you like to be a, te a domestic terrorist, swipe right because that's what I'm for looking real. for. <laughs> I mean, come join me on a date of your life. You know, that'll be end up on national TV and in headlines <laughs> around the world. I mean, headed to Washington. Don't you think it's romantic to storm the U.S. Capitol? I do. Yeah. On uh, January 13th, they said we took the action to temporarily remove our politics feature in an effort to prevent that kind of misuse and abuse. Well, we took the steps necessary to ensure we had the proper moderation tools and protocols in place. Now they've completed the process be because of all this and the politics filter has been turned back on in the U.S., so there you go. Now, I, I guess you can distinguish and filter those people who are part of uh, political, you know, uh, groups or affiliations that you would not want to be associated with. Uh, and I guess they figured out a way to make sure that they weren't using it uh, in other ways, I guess, as well. So that's that's a good thing. But, man, I was surprised that they would hit up t Bumble for all this stuff. But I guess when you have Parler going down, when you have, I guess, uh, Twitter and Facebook and all these other social platforms targeting them, where else are you going to go? Head on over to a dating app. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it makes you kind of lose hope in, in romance because of uh, people bringing, which I do think it's important to, you know, know your partner and what they stand for. Um, but I think it's, it, it is a little much when the extremists kind of start getting on these platforms and rowing at it from its purpose. Well, that is true. They're ruining everything these days. Now, coming up, what celebrities defending Army Hammer's cannibalist ways? More details on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. 
Coming up on the show, we explain the First Amendment, free speech, and the future of social media platforms, plus the truth behind why you might procrastinate and the solution you need to hear but might not like to hear. That's coming up this hour. This is tough love, people. Get into it. Tough love 21. Oh my God, stop for naming the year every five seconds. You don't got to remind us, Shira. Uh, Let's get into so much trending this hour right now. President-elect Joe Biden said today the vaccine rollout has been a dismal failure and detailed how his administration plans to approach it in order for Americans to get 100 million COVID-19 shots in the first 100 days of his administration. Mobile clinics moving from community to community that will partner with community health centers and local primary care doctors to offer vaccines to hard-hit and hard-to-reach communities in cities, small towns, and in rural communities. And to staff up these centers, we will mobilize thousands of clinical and non-clinical professionals. Think of the people deployed that we deploy in natural disasters. Experts from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, from FEMA, Now, this also comes a day after he unveiled his $1.9 trillion economic rescue plan as well. So he is putting out all the plans right now for everyone as it is getting very close to inauguration next week. Now, Dodger Stadium here in Los Angeles will be open for the COVID-19 vaccine to healthcare workers with appointments between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Officials hope to begin vaccinating seniors by early February, along with teachers and workers in childcare, emergency services, food and agriculture. So that's an update that's happening here in Los Angeles, where our studios are uh, in Channel Q. Uh, Now, the official Twitter accounts for Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and their spouses have been announced so people can follow the incoming administration. The president-elect and vice president-elect's accounts will automatically convert to the at POTUS and at VP accounts. Uh, As the incoming first lady, Dr. Jill Biden's account will convert to at FLOTUS. Oh, but we've got a a new one here, Doug Emhoff. Emhoff, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, His username required more thought as the husband of the first female vice president. He will be officially known as the second gentleman and will use the Twitter account at second gentleman. Yeah, I figured that was what he was going to be called. I mean, I didn't know that was news, but okay, cool. This is great. It is. It was official today for those who might be wondering. Mm. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. (laughs) What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? I am so tired talking about Army Hammer, but here we go again. Um, It's time for the tea reports, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. Former Disney star Bella Thorne has taken it upon herself to come to Army Hammer's defense amid allegations that he has cannibalistic sexual fantasies. Yes, you heard me say cannibalistic sexual fantasies. Uh, She took to Instagram to slam fake screenshots going around um, about ARMY and his unusual activities in the bedroom. Here she is quoted saying, I honestly can't believe this. People are crazy to fake this kind of crap. She used the other word, but I can't say it. This poor guy and his kids like leave him alone and his family alone. No way he's a freaking cannibal. I mean, here's my thing. Mm -hmm. 
I think, yes, there, it is true that there has been a lot of fake screenshots. I think the account that initially posted um, this whole thing that's kind of started this scandal even said that all of it was fake. But when the ex- Wait, so it was real, okay. yeah, like the those state those like screenshot and voice notes were fake. But the thing is, once the ex girlfriend kind of came out and started saying that it was like dating a wannabe Hannibal Lecter, it has you to think that ah uh, maybe there's some things happening here. And I'm not gonna lie to you, Army Hammer's statement where he just said he was dropping out of that movie, he's gonna be with his kids, didn't denounce any of this stuff. And Army Hammer is known because people have caught him liking, like, you know, BDSM, SM type of, like, pictures and things on Twitter. You know, this is something that he obviously enjoys. Now, I'm not saying he likes drinking blood and he's a cannibal, but you just never know. And I don't know if De- Bella Thorne is really even helping the situation at this point. What do you think? Maybe she's interested and it's like her way of inserting herself into this so he could reach out. She's in a, oh, she's in a relationship. And he's married. Where? Yeah. Well, so what is it? Where's his wife in all this? <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the crazy thing. That's the reason why he decided to step away. He he said it was for his kids, which oddly enough, I don't know why he didn't say his his wife too. But that's none of my business. I let cannibals do what cannibals do. Uh, if you want to know more about this story, head over to WeirdChannelQ.com. Hopefully this scandal is just, um, you know, a salute, like a, a result of a slow news week. Because, right? um, yeah. Yeah, we'll have bigger things to focus on next week with the inauguration, <laughs> that's for sure. Okay, uh, now we're going to be getting into uh, some more stuff after this. Will Trump be allowed back on social media after leaving office? The Washington Post joins us for that. And to break down the First Amendment so we can all stop confusing it, that's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. So is Trump to blame for the divisiveness on social media or is social media to blame for giving him the platform and then stepping in too late? And where does freedom of speech come into play in all of this? Because it seems like a lot of people are confused about that and the uh, First Amendment. Joining us right now to break it all down is Craig Timberg. He's a national technology reporter for The Washington Post, specializing in privacy, security and surveillance. Thanks for being back. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me back. All right. So let's explain all of this, because I think that when we start talking about why Trump was kicked off, a lot of people don't understand why and how it's legal. There's no legal issue here. I mean, you know, people don't seem to grasp that the First Amendment has nothing to do with what private companies do. It, it What it has to do is what the government does. So if Donald Trump tried to, like, shut up Twitter, that would be against the First Amendment. For Twitter to shut up Donald Trump causes no constitutional issue whatsoever. And there's also a a law that specifically allows platforms like Twitter and Facebook and what have you, Instagram, to moderate their their content. So they have very wide legal latitude to kick users off their platform if they want to, if they violate their policies in particular. Well, what I think is so interesting, it, it feels like Donald Trump has always had this negative connection with social media platforms from either TikTok to Twitter to Facebook. You know, is this really, it was it really surprising at this point that this decision was made at the time that it was made? I, I mean, it was a little too late in my opinion, but was it really that shocking? There are a lot of people who thought there was a pretty good chance that Twitter would boot him off after he left the White House. I think... I, I, I think the events of last week were so shocking and appalling that it, it got it, it moved up the timetable. It's also the case, though, that the day the Capitol takeover took was the same day that we learned that 
you know, those two Georgia runoff elections had led to Democrats being elected that the Democrats were going to take the, the U.S. Senate. And so we and others had chronicled how much these companies had sort of bent over backwards to accommodate Donald Trump and his party in the past few years. Suddenly there was like a new sheriff in town and they seem to have become significantly more responsive to the demands of the Democrats just in a, in a matter of, it seemed like hours it flipped, frankly. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But will that change kind of who they are or their responsibility? Because I feel like they always acted or talked about being democratic, these these platforms where people can do and share. And that's how they were built originally. There are a lot of unresolved tensions here. Uh, you know, if you ran, um, you know, a social media platform and you were making billions of dollars a year, your incentives would be around continuing to make billions of dollars a year, right? I mean, and, and so the more people who talk and the more avidly they talk, the more money you make, right? It's just pure business. Now, they run into kind of public relations problems as like Facebook did when their platform was used to, you know, enact, you know, genocide in Myanmar. Uh, Twitter has obviously had a lot of public relations problems. And so they've sort of gradually kind of tightened down. And we really saw this to a striking degree when the coronavirus, you know, landed suddenly um, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all the rest were much more serious about policing truth. They'd always been allergic to policing truth. They said, we don't want to be arbiters of truth. That's the last thing they wanted to be. Suddenly, when you know thousands of people a day were dying of COVID, they became arbiters of scientific truth. And so this next step is part of an evolution that's been coming for some time. Uh, and I don't know where it exactly ends, right? I mean, the Democrats definitely want more moderation but it's not clear to me Congress is going to do anything. I don't know what a new President Biden's going to do. It's, it's, mm. it's, a, it's something we're watching very carefully. Again, you're hearing from Craig Timberg, a national tech reporter for The Washington Post, specializing in privacy, security, and surveillance as we talk about Trump, free speech, the First Amendment, and social media. Yeah, it's just such a weird balance because it's like you want these people on these platforms to be like booted off if they are causing and inflicting harm and inciting harm. But it also is kind of scary to know that these platforms have the ability to kind of control you in that way to be like, well, if I don't want you there, it's you need to just go. So kind of is there going to be a balance? Like, is there something that we could see in the near future being like, well, who, who's controlling that decision at this point? Or is everyone just going to be playing God? I think balance is going to be in the eye of the beholder. You know, I think a lot of people thought the way it was before, where like one super powerful guy could dominate the political conversation was in its way imbalanced. It, but these are really, I find these really, really difficult questions. Like, I, yeah. I don't love the idea of, you know, a th- you know, a handful of billionaires in Silicon Valley deciding who gets to speak and how they get to speak. I also don't love the idea of the government deciding who gets to speak and how they get, get to speak. And I also don't love it being so out of control that there's a kind of damage from excessive speech, if that makes sense, mm. right? If, if there's speech that leads to violence, if there's speech that leads to undemocratic behavior, like that's a problem too. So I, I do think that we're dealing with authentic um issues that do need weighing and balancing and it'd be nice to think that if in a few months we're in a kind of less polarized time that we can reach something like a common understanding because these these are hard questions and that, mm-hmm. that you know you'd want people of goodwill to wrestle with together so do you think they'll let trump back on at a certain point like how does this play out i don't think twitter's gonna let trump back on i mean they they, they took a pretty serious stand uh, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, they took a stock price hit. They, you know, presumably have alienated 
some large number of their customers. I'm not sure they have much motive to, to bring him back. But I, I do think what we'll see is Donald Trump potentially as a private citizen going onto some other platform like Parler, potentially um, starting his own so that he can that, yep. and make money on his own. Yep. I think all those are in the cards. Uh-huh. And you'll be here to cover it all with us. Craig Timberg, National Tech Reporter for The Washington Post. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on. Now coming up on the show, the truth behind why you procrastinate and why it's okay. Don't be so hard on yourself. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Many of us are working remotely from home. However, it's presented some challenges, including, according to a recent study, our spaces and clutter could be creating indecision and procrastination. Joining us right now, he's the expert on procrastination, the guru, Dr. Joe Ferrari. He's a professor of psychology uh, and uh, St. Vincent de Paul, distinguished professor. He wrote a book called Still Procrastinating. There you go. He joins us right now. Thanks for being here. Great. And thank you for being on time. I appreciate that. (laughs) That's a lie, by the way. Uh, You say procrastination is not as much about time management, but more mood management. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree that it's only mood management, but let me let me try to go quickly here. Everybody procrastinates, but mm-hmm. not everyone is a procrastinator. There are 20% of adult men and women, there's no gender difference, who are chronic procrastinators. They do it at home, at school, in work, relationships. You, they will never RSVP on time. They don't buy sporting tickets on time. They wait till the gauge goes on empty before they get more, more petrol. They um, get the third bill. There are 20% of adults, and this is not just a U.S. phenomenon. I have shown this in Italy, in Spain, Peru, Venezuela, uh, England, Australia, about 18 countries. Now, so what? Who cares 20%? Well, that's higher than depression, higher than phobia, higher than panic attacks, alcoholism, substance abuse. And yet we consider this a funny topic. It is not a funny topic. Procrastination has life when it's maladaptive, when you're 20% have life altering uh, implications, wow. uh, you miss out on so much of life. When we're getting into this and how I look at procrastination, I feel like it's such a nuanced conversation, right? Because oftentimes if I'm, my mental health is kind of like having a triggering moment, I'm procrastinating with everything. So how much does mental health kind of play into procrastination? Great question. And I have a chapter on that in, in the book here. Um, you have to understand that most of the research on procrastination is new. Believe it or not, scholars, and I've been studying this for 40 years, are only beginning to ask the questions, the great questions that you're asking. So we don't have the answers yet, which is very interesting. In the United States, I'm the guy. I, you know, I, I'm the only one who's studying this topic. You have to go to Canada or Europe to find other people. So that sounds like an excuse. Uh, but it's not a fraudulent excuse, which is another name for a lie. It's, um, <laughs> it is an, it's an honest answer. We don't have the answers. Uh, what I can tell you is that it, it certainly has some implications. For example, some people say ADHD is linked to procrastination or procrastination is linked to that. Well, I did the only study with three different samples and I didn't find such a strong um, link. It tends to be linked maybe with passive aggressive tendencies so somebody will, I call it the, um, I have a blog where I talk about the three R's and one of them is a reactance effect mm. and revenge is the other one. In other words, people might use procrastination as a way of gaining revenge. You know, you, you dissed me, you didn't dream, I'm going to wait. Now I'm just going to wait. And so the person uses that. Um, the person can use that as 
uh, a method for reactants. That's a really cool psych concept. Uh, from New York, we call it the oh yeah effect. When people are willing to do something and you suddenly say to them, well, you know, you have to do this, you get what we call in psychology for some people, reactants or, oh yeah, oh, I'm not going to do that now. Yeah, I was going to do they, that. They, I could have done yeah. that. Before. But now you may, I'm not going to do that. This is an old line of research on cigarette smoking, for example. That's why thank you for not you know, more effective campaigns than please don't campaigns. I just want to reintroduce you for everyone listening. Dr. Joe Ferrari joins us, who is a professor of psychology, also author of Still Procrastinating and a New Yorker, as you can hear. <laughs> but um, Dr. Joe, so many interesting things, which it makes me feel like in the end, it's really about shifting ourselves. It's not about something external, really creating this change for us. So like, what are those steps that people can start taking to stop uh, avoiding tasks? or Everybody wants the cures. And I, as a social personality psychologist, I look at the causes and the consequences more than the street corner quickie cures. Mm -hmm. And one of the misnomers people have for the cures is, well, it's poor time management. Oh, they're lazy. Oh, they just don't have the oomph to do it. Well, that's that's poo-poo. That's not true. All right. Procrastinators are very active on doing other things, on doing what they shouldn't be doing, all right? The big issue, one of the big issues is fears. You, you were touching on that before. If I never finish, I can never be judged. I can always tell you, uh, you know, uh, it's coming along. I'll get it to you when I can. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You see? And so you never judge. Because if I finish and it really isn't very good, then my ability is, is shows to be lacking. You see, if I'm going to give a public image, the one thing procra chronic procrastinators are concerned with is their social image, their social esteem image, if you would. They're very concerned on how others view them. So I'd rather you think I lacked effort than I lack ability. And so, so fear. And the real issue, I know it's that I want your listeners to understand you are going to fail in life. This fear of failure. Look, you will fail. God, when she made you, made the knees bend so you can go down and come up. It isn't a question of when, uh, if you're going to fail, but when you're going to fail. And it's not a question of failing. It's a question of how do you get up? You know, yeah. you can't, yeah. there's a Japanese expression. You can't control the wind, but you can adjust your sails. Yeah, Meaning, and I, I think for me, I, I, I want to know, Dr. Joe, What's the balance of like one taking your time and thinking something out and also procrastinating? So when we get back, let's dive into that. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're back with Dr. Joe Ferrari talking about procrastination and why we all do it and ways to get out of it. Where we basically left off and what I think is really important is understanding the balance, right? This balance of one, thinking something through and being like, I want to make the right decision versus procrastination. Can you define that balance? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Look, if you're a manager, you want to wait before you make a decision, before you take it, because you want to gather information. So pausing, waiting is not procrastination. The problem is, if you're that manager, you have yet another focus group and you call in other people and you're delayed. So there's a tipping point where it becomes too much of that waiting. When is that tipping point? Oh, that depends. Uh, but you're absolutely right. To delay, it, to gather information is not a bad thing. To wait till you have the, the next step is great. But if you keep 
you know, waiting, that's a problem. Even prioritizing is not procrastination because if I got a dozen things to do, clearly 10, 11, and 12 got to wait while I'm doing one, two, and three. Well, is that procrastination on 10, 11, 12? No, the real procrastinator might do one, maybe two, then rewrites the list, then shuffles it around, then makes another copy of the list. All right, that's the procrastination part. Mm. You see? So what we need to have people understand is that life is full of failure. Okay, I know we're pressed for time. There's a recent study that showed the most adjusted individuals, the happiest individuals have 85% success, 15% failure. We need failure in life. You cannot, if you always uh, succeeded, you, you would not grow as an individual. So Dr. Um, Joe Ferrari, what you're saying is that we need to put ourselves out there more. And the more you put yourself out there, the more higher percentage of success because you're putting yourself out there to fail. Yes, the higher rate of that success, but also the higher rate of, of failure. Now notice 85% is not mediocrity. No, that's 50%. You know, if you can succeed most of the time, nobody's perfect, not even Mary Poppins. She was practically perfect in every way, but not quite there. Okay, so if you can get pretty close, that's good. So 15% failure in life, that's pretty good because it's out of the, out of the failure we grow. Native Americans had an expression. They said, the white man had it wrong. The oh. white man wants clear water. The white man wants to walk with, with no pattern. Yeah, with nothing to resist. The Native Americans says, no, we have to have muddy water in life because it's through the mud that you push and you grow. You see? So how do we um, get rid of the stigma that's attached to procrastination, right? Should Because I think about the New Year's and how everyone makes yes. their resolutions. And yes. there's so much stigma around if you don't complete it, then it, you're wrong. You're in the negative. So how do we strip that to kind let, of reframe what procrastination is? Good question, too. Less than uh, 8% of people finish uh, live up to their New Year's resolutions after January. So most of us don't finish our re resolutions. And, and that's okay. And I think it's more than just the resolution stigma with procrastination. I think the, the whole issue of procrastination, I'm not demonizing anybody. I'm not um, saying that people who are procrastinating are bad. No, no, no. If you're part of the 20%, you need therapy. All right. I'm sorry, but that's really yeah. no, seriously, it's not so funny, but you need because you're such a good excuse maker. All right. You're always going to find the reason why. And they're logical people. Why? And you listen, and you go, OK, so that needs therapy. But if you're the 80 percent, then I say, let's look at the task. Let's look on what's going on. And I think so. There's a lot more to say on this. Um, we but never call great. We never talked about the development. Maybe you'll have me back. The development of here. There's most definitely a part. Yeah, Dr. Here. Joe Ferrari. And of course, you can check out the book he was referencing as he pu pulled it up uh, with us right now is still procrastinating with a question mark. It's out right now and can definitely help you out. Um, he has amazing theories and really real ways to shift your mind. Uh, thank you so much again, Dr. Joe Ferrari. All right. Thank you. Great. Look forward to talking to you. And thanks for not delaying. Definitely. Now coming up, Biden's latest pick for the White House is gay, and we're here for it. I mean, what is this, uh, the fantasy football league? Sure. More news on that announcement next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're back with Dr. Joe Ferrari talking about procrastination and why we all do it and ways to get out of it. 
where we basically left off and what I think is really important is understanding the balance, right? This balance of one, thinking something through and being like, I want to make the right decision versus procrastination. Can you define that balance? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Look, if you're a manager, you want to wait before you make a decision, before you take it, because you want to gather information. So pausing, waiting is not procrastination. The problem is, if you're that manager, you have yet another focus group and you call in other people and you're delayed. So there's a tipping point where it becomes too much of that waiting. When is that tipping point? Oh, that depends. Uh, but you're absolutely right. To delay, it, to gather information is not a bad thing. To wait till you have the, the next step is great. But if you keep you know, waiting, that's a problem. Even prioritizing is not procrastination because if I got a dozen things to do, clearly 10, 11, and 12 got to wait while I'm doing one, two, and three. Well, is that procrastination on 10, 11, 12? No, the real procrastinator might do one, maybe two, then rewrites the list, then shuffles it around, then makes another copy of the list. All right, that's the procrastination part. Mm. You see? So what we need to have people understand is that life is full of failure. Okay, I know we're pressed for time. There's a recent study that showed the most adjusted individuals, the happiest individuals have 85% success 15% failure. We need failure in life. You cannot, if you always uh, succeeded, you, you would not grow as an individual. So Dr. Um, Bill Ferrari, what you're saying is that we need to put ourselves out there more. And the more you put yourself out there, the more higher percentage of success because you're putting yourself out there to fail. Yes, the higher rate of that success, but also the higher rate of, of failure. Now notice, 85% is not mediocrity. No, that's 50%. You know, if you can succeed most of the time, nobody's perfect, not even Mary Poppins. She was practically perfect in every way, but not quite there. Okay, so if you can get pretty close, that's good. So 15% failure in life, that's pretty good because it's out of the, out of the failure we grow. Native Americans had an expression. They said, the white man had it wrong. The white man wants clear water. The white man wants to walk with, with no pattern. Yeah, with nothing to resist. The Native Americans says, no, we have to have muddy water in life. Because it's through the mud that you push and you grow. You see? So how do we um, get rid of the stigma that's attached to procrastination, right? Should Because I think about the New Year's and how everyone makes yes. their resolutions. And yes. there's so much stigma around if you don't complete it, then it, you're wrong. You're in the negative. So how do we strip that to kind yeah. of reframe what procrastination is? Good question, too. Less than uh, 8% of people finish uh, live up to their New Year's resolutions after January. So most of us don't finish our re resolutions. And, and that's okay. And I think it's more than just the resolution stigma with procrastination. I think the, the whole issue of procrastination, I'm not demonizing anybody. I'm not um, saying that people who are procrastinating are bad. No, no, no. If you're part of the 20%, you need therapy. All right. I'm sorry, but that's really yeah. no, seriously, it's not so funny, but you need because you're such a good excuse maker. All right. You're always going to find the reason why and they're logical people. Why? And you listen, and you go, OK, so that needs therapy. But if you're the 80 percent, then I say, let's look at the task. Let's look on what's going on. And I think so. There's a lot more to say on this. Um, we but never this call is great. 
We never talked about the development. Maybe you'll have me back. The development part of here. There's most definitely a part. Yeah, Dr. Here. Joe Ferrari. And of course, you can check out the book he was referencing as he pu- pulled it up uh, with us right now is still procrastinating with a question mark. It's out right now and can definitely help you out. Um, he has amazing theories and really real ways to shift your mind. Uh, thank you so much again, Dr. Joe Ferrari. All right. Thank you. Great. Look forward to talking to you. And thanks for not delaying. Definitely. Now coming up, Biden's latest pick for the White House is gay, and we're here for it. I mean, what is this, uh, the fantasy football league? Sure. More news on that announcement next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, the three stages of social distancing after you get the COVID-19 vaccine. Plus, what the new stimulus package will look like once Biden takes office because he uh, just announced that and some news about the vaccine today, of course. So we've got you covered in this hour. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Senator Chuck Schumer unveiled the Senate Democratic majority's priorities, which include an impeachment trial of Trump. Donald Trump remains a threat to our democracy and will be held accountable for what he's done, whether or not he's president during the trial. At the same time, the Senate's work on behalf of the American people will not be deterred. The nation's facing unprecedented challenges, the greatest economic crisis in 75 years since the Great Depression, the greatest public health crisis in a century since the Spanish pandemic flu, the climate crisis, income inequality, racial injustice, the Senate Democratic majority along with President-elect Biden and our House colleagues, is committed to delivering the bold change our country demands and the help that our people need. Okay, and uh, President-elect Joe Biden has chosen former ambassador to Denmark, Rufus Gifford, to fill an important role in the State Department as he fills out the incoming administration. The out celebrity diplomat will be the chief of protocol. He's, of course, part of the LGBT plus community. He is gay. And Gifford was one of Barack Obama's top election campaign advisors before being nominated as an ambassador. He was Biden's deputy campaign manager focused on finance, external outreach and coalition building. So, yes. I have no clue who Rufus Gifford is, but I'm happy he is the chief of protocol. You know, they're they're really good at just making up titles and names. Right. It's like, what does that even mean? Is he like making everyone's schedule? Like, what is that? I don't know. Protocol of things. Yeah. Is he is he like the hall monitor of the White House at this point? Yeah, I will get back to you on that. I mean, that, I, that's, that would be fitting for a, a, a gay to be taking charge of the White House, making all the rules. At least you know exactly. things will be kept tidy and together. Mm-hmm. And colorful. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, fast food workers in 15 cities around the country are going to be walking out today in a strike for the federal government to increase the national minimum wage to $15 an hour. Now, this is definitely needed. Uh, The strike is being organized by Fight for 15 and a union. Uh, They said fast food workers are going on strike January 15th on what would be MLK's 92nd birthday to demand $15 an hour and the right to a union. Workers will not back down until everyone makes at least $15. They tweeted this. Does that mean your favorite fast food restaurants today will be closed? I mean, I to be know. honest, I'm I'm here for this. I think we need to be into and, and really 
quickly. And when you think about $15 an hour, that doesn't even feel like enough, especially if you live in a city like here. That's still below minimum wage. Like, that's still below the amount of livable, living, yeah, livable wage. In income, and yeah. so I think we have to think about this and, and really listen to what fast food, wor food workers are saying um, at a time like this and, and what that really means. Because, yeah, Joe Biden, you should, you should fix that. You should help people be able to just live because right now doesn't seem like it's happening. You know, it's complicated. And we have Wylam Weiss on our show a lot. He's the assistant to the mayor of Los Angeles. And I actually have a lot of conversations with him off air about this and how like minimum wage needs to be increased. We have a housing crisis, a homeless crisis here in Los Angeles. And yet, like we want a national change and a federal change at the same time, every state and city has different needs in terms of living here. So like, how do you handle that? Right. Because like, you know, what you're paying to live in L.A. Yeah, is different than if it was somewhere else. And that needs to be taken into account. But then that affects uh, corporations and them being there. And you need then create an incentive for them to pay people more. So it's a domino effect. We won't solve it here. That's for sure right now. Uh, but that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Kelly Clarkson revealed some celebrities were rude and mean to her when she first competed on American Idol. Are y'all ready for me to spill this tea? It is time for the Tea Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. So during an interview with Jennifer Love Hewitt on her daily talk show, um, Clarkson opened up about cruel uh, like celebrities in the spotlight um, who were like mean to her when she was just a contestant on American Idol back in 2002. Here is the clip. And people like we're really mean to us because we're from a talent show and it was the first season. Like, everyone was so rude to us, like, on the carpet, like, at the show. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was so bad. It was a horrible experience. And you came up to me and ran up to me out of nowhere and, and we're like, oh, my gosh, I, I'm really rooting for you and just please keep, you told me, please keep the, the ones you love so close and it'll end up being about a few people in your life, unfortunately, but this business can be really hard. And just remember to keep those people that really love you. And you just gave me this advice that was really, really kind. So, yeah, I mean, she didn't go into detail about what celebrities they were, but she did give us hints about it was the MTV VMAs. And, uh -huh. I, you know, I can only imagine, like, the celebrities at that time, I just hate that, you know, Kelly Clarkson, a new talent show, like, it was the first season. They probably were like, who is this girl? Like, I, do we really care? But still, she felt so like she wasn't supposed to be there. And that sucks. Well, yeah, you also have to remember when American Idol came out, it was so innovative right at the time. Like, we had never seen something like this in our generation, even though there was Bandstand or whatever uh, way back when. Is it Bandstand, American Bandstand or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't but, know like, they didn't have American. any, like, competition. I think, well... I, like we hadn't had any competition shows like this where and like so there was a bit of a lack of respect, just like I think talent or actors have a lack of respect for reality show hosts taking yeah. over and acting. Musicians kind of had a lack of respect for the competition, uh, you know, or uh, shows and those people competing and trying to make it. And now, of course, that's changed. Right. But like it was the first. Yeah. And I mean, jokes all on those main celebrities because Clarkson, of course, wound up winning that very first season of Idol and has yeah. become one of the show's most successful stars. So really, I bet you we probably don't even know, like whoever they were, we probably they're probably not even on the radar anymore to be quite honest like because karma like that like I just don't believe if you're going to be like rude to people even if you don't respect them in some ways like your your karma is not going to be good
I can't. And be. that ha- that happens to be Br- Britney Spears. Mm, no, no shade. That's a joke. That's not real. <laughs> All right, that's your tea report. And of course, you can check out more of that story at WeAreChannelQ.com and keep us followed at LGT Show everywhere. Okay, now coming up on the show, once you get the COVID-19 vaccine, can you stop social distancing with your friends finally? We have those answers for you next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Now, Transgride has been a vital source for chronicling the lives and the history of Black transgender people. And three months after the unexpected passing of its founder, Monica Roberts, friends of the celebrated advocate and pioneer and trailblazer plan to launch a publication that ensures that the award-winning blog's proud legacy lives on. Now, before we get into more details in this very special announcement, here are some very powerful words from Roberts that Al Jazeera Plus shared in an edit on Twitter in honor of her life. We have black trans folks who are doing amazing things. Far too often I saw black trans victims being misgendered, using the words man and women's clothing, the chosen name of the trans person in quotation marks. I was fed up with it and I wanted to role model what good coverage looked like. I felt like uh, the history of trans folks, especially black trans folks, wasn't really told. One of the missions of Transgrio is to document our history, good, bad, and indifferent. And it has to be preserved for future generations to know about this. And last week, here's the announcement. Transgria announced the search for a black trans-identified managing editor for a part-time role that will focus on covering political journalism and trans issues. Uh, now, Dee Dee Waters, a trans activist and close friend of Roberts, will be the publisher of the new site. And in a release recently, just earlier this month, Waters said that the would-be managing editor will be someone who can, quote, act decisively, but with humanity and wisdom. And the new publication will also feature outside contributors, maintain a presence on social media and feature a monthly newsletter so go follow transcribe it but then also if you know someone who's good for this job let them know i mean seriously monica was such a staple in the community and um it was her passing was so sudden and i think this is a brilliant way of honoring her and remembering her legacy because she was the one that was reporting on the trans black lives that were being killed and she wanted to name them she wanted to name them by their correct genders and their mm. correct names and she uh she carried that with such honor and grace and to know that she was such um for matriarch um yeah, she's, she deserves to have this legacy. I'm, I'm always a fan of hers, and I, I was fa- following her forever. And so, mm. yeah, I, I love this. This is perfect, in my opinion. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing this with me today. We were trying to find a story of what we wanted to cover, and you found that from uh, Travel Anderson, who's been on our show before, and also an amazing journalist and personality. So I love that. And that was our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Now, coming up on Monday's show, you know, if Twitter and Facebook can police the president, who's going to police them? That's a big question on everyone's mind. So mm-hmm. we'll be having some of those answers on Monday. Plus, more on a work 
Vacation, workation, the growing trend among remote workers. What does that even mean? Well, we'll tell you that. And if you missed any of our shows throughout the week or our interviews, we post everything as a podcast. So just go to the radio.com app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Uh, see you Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye, y'all.